the cycling podcast powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. A beer at the track is the perfect match. To be able to wear the World Championship stripes here, uh, it's, a, it's a really proud moment for me. Everyone says, in your case, it's bad, but that's not true. <laughs> Kenny Decatel is uh, the very best here. My grandfather used to ride here a lot and now my father as well. So, uh, yeah, you can say it's in the family. Wearing a, a sweatshirt that um, announces you as a Mark Cavendish fan. Mark, on Wednesday after the Tour de France, he came to dance at two meters with Peter and his four children. So that was the day of our life. Where are we, Lionel? We are outside the Kuipka track. Can you spell that for me, please? It's Q-U-I-P-K-E. It's a tricky word for English speakers to get their tongues around, really, because it's uh, very Flemish, uh, but it means the tub, basically, and it's uh, the name of the track here in the Citadel Park in the centre of Ghent, or not far from the centre of Ghent. It's a fairly unassuming building, isn't it? It's sort of not, not quite Art Deco, not quite brutalist, um, it's a sort of expo centre with a little velodrome, uh, 166 metre track, very steep-sided, hence it's called the tub. It is like a washing machine drum, and when the crowd is in and the atmosphere is hot, it's like a, a steaming bowl of Flemish stew, isn't it, with lots of meat in the middle. Well, hopefully not too steaming tonight. Uh, there's... Uh crowds well the crowds streaming in we expected we heard that ticket sales had been relatively low so we weren't sure how many people to expect here on opening night of the six days of ghent uh, which is what we are here for um and the, it's freezing cold it's that kind of cold that really kind of gets into your bones so we're standing outside at the moment and the the crowds are queuing to get in and uh, we're looking forward to going in in a moment for some some great racing uh, here opening night and some star names Lionel, here we are in the track centre, all very familiar and pretty busy. And we've just watched the first race of the main event. The the men's uh, six days of Ghent has got underway. We had the under 23 racing earlier on, and it was a team elimination race. Yeah, a really hectic event. All the teams put both riders in, and it's uh, Madison Hansling every two and a half or three laps. And every 10 laps, the last team over the line is eliminated. And, uh, well, there was a little bit of an upset because I think the crowd wanted Kenny de Kettler to win, but it was actually Yuri Havik who won the race. Um, he gave it the big point to the sky for, uh, for winning that particular round and a great reception from the crowd. Um, which, over there in the expensive seats, a little bit empty because I think they're enjoying the VIP food and drink out in uh, the, um, underneath the stand. But up here in the cheap seats, it's uh, a really good turnout. A really, a really good turnout, yeah. Um, and pretty full in the track centre as well. We saw Michael Morkov and Lassie Norman Hassan in introduced to the crowd at the start as the favourites for the... the, the um, the whole race over the six days. They were fourth in that in that race, and Ilio Kaisa and Mark Cavendish lasted another ten laps before they went out. 
I was standing here on the on the on the, the bend, and uh, you know you can you're we're very close to the riders here. You can hear them thundering over the boards, shouting at each other. I did catch a little um, a little yell from Mark Cavendish towards Elio Kaisa at one point, um, and you get a real sense here, and the people doing the stands too of um, you know it's such a tight little track. Um, and you are so close to the action that it's a really kind of privileged vantage point we have. Yeah, I mean, we're standing at the steepest point of the track and it really does rise up in front of us like a wall. I mean, it's an incredibly steep uh, banking at each end. And the other thing to comment on is that the programme is incredibly tight. There's barely any um, pause for breath. The team elimination event finished. There was a bit of a lap of honour for the winners. And then it's straight into this flying lap. Uh, Two-man time trial where they wind up the pace and then the rider in second position uh, sets the quickest time he can over the final lap. And uh, the racing just goes on and on and on until, as I say, that break in the middle for the... Um, the kits, the, the cheesy entertainment, which Richard, you're going to stay in the track centre for, I think. Oh, I can't wait. What did you make of the Bradford? Well, I'm still picking it out of my teeth. <laughs> I know, it's still there. Ask me when I've finished. It's just like the French Revolution, isn't it? Uh, no, <laughs> it takes a long time to, to clear from the mouth. Um, it was uh, very nice. I mean, the choices are pretty limited, aren't they? It's Bradford, hamburger of dubious provenance, or sort of like Flemish pizza type thing. Um, so, yeah, Bratwurst is the most substantial meal, and I quite enjoyed it. I'm not sure if it's really uh, compatible with your your new your new, new slimline look, Lionel. Well, I, I allow myself a treat. I've, I've structured my day around allowing myself a, a big meaty bradwurst in the evening. Um, I went for the pickles and uh, mustard and ketchup on the top. Um, the, the reason... a, dri a drizzle of mustard and a drizzle of ketchup. You know, one bradwurst is enough. Although the problem is... Um, you do start craving another one in about an hour's time, I, I find. And then, uh, a bit like going round and round and round the track, uh, I'm pretty confident that Bradford will be repeating on you all evening and all night. That's where the face masks come in handy. <laughs> We're doing these writer interviews. They might not be able to hear us, but at least they can't smell our breath. I'm off now to get some freaks, Lionel. What are your first impressions, Richard? I know you've been here before, but back at the Ghent Six, what do you make of the evening so far? There's uh, such an air of familiarity about it all. Um, the, there are restrictions. There are fewer people in the track centre. They're not serving beer in the track centre. Normally it's rammed in there. It's like the floor of a nightclub. It's not like that at all tonight. The stands are filling up quite nicely. There's usual food stalls, bars, backstage. <laughs> and it all feels quite familiar, apart from the fact that everybody's wearing a mask. And then 
the writers themselves, you know, it, it's always really strange and a little jarring to walk into the track centre and just uh, across the, the barrier there's, you know, Roger Kluger or Michael Morkov warming up. Michael Morkov, Olympic Madison champion and World Madison champion, wearing uh, a World Championship Madison jersey that looks like a replica because it's, he's, he's riding here for Schneider Electric. It's just got a lovely kind of local homespun feel to it, the Gant 6. You've got these big stars um, who, for a few days, race for Schneider Electric, and his jersey is flapping about. It looks not just like a replica, but a knockoff replica. It looks like a replica of a replica. It's terrible. It doesn't... I, I'm, I'd be surprised if... I haven't checked, but if the colours are even in the right order, to be honest. Uh, but that, that's one of its charms, isn't it? There's a, a rough and readiness, a kind of... There isn't sawdust on the floor, but you feel like there should be sawdust on the floor. Yeah, and there's a, a real sense of... They try to sort of build the anticipation, don't they? When we arrived in the track centre, the under-23 racing was still going on. And then they announce the teams, all 12 teams. They announce them one by one and they do a lap of the track and get a round of applause. Biggest cheer of the night. A, a real toss-up between Mark Cavendish and Ilhild Kaiser. Obviously Kaiser, the hometown boy. Mark Cavendish has won here before. And Kenny De Ketteler, I thought a really nice touch. They, the introduction music for De Ketteler and his teammate was One More Time by Daft Punk because obviously this is De Ketteler's final Ghent Six of his career. So, um, yeah, they've got, a real, uh, they've got a real idea of how to kind of build the suspense. And then the racing gets underway, and the first two races of the night are points races, 50-lap points races with a sprint every 10 laps. First of all, the riders with uh, white numbers go, and then the riders with black numbers go. Each team has, uh, obviously, a team of two riders, and um, they start accumulating points and trying to gain laps towards the, what is, on the face of it, quite a complicated um, competition. But the scoreboard is regularly updated so you know exactly who's leading. And the racing now just basically goes on until half past ten when the Belgian equivalent of, uh, I don't know, the winner of The Voice will come on and entertain the crowd. Although sometimes it's a little bit more cabaret than that. We'll have to see what they've got in store. There's uh, such a, an air of familiarity about it. A lot of people still coming in the doors. Um, sadly, we don't have our Belgian belt correspondent with us to keep us updated on how many people are wearing belts. Um, I'm not wearing a belt, but I wish I was because my trousers keep falling down. So uh, they, they do have their uses. Um, but no, there's such a, an air of familiarity about it all. They're, it's all the same people, isn't it? Um, and you, you recognize the faces from all the Belgian races, even if they're not the the same people they're they're the same they're the same they're they're belgian cycling fans who come out to all the classics the the six day races i'm sure the cyclocross as well i am uh, ines from belgium from belgium where, where do you live in uh, Ghent. so do you come to the Ghent six every year yes every year i notice you cheering for kenny de Ketler. it's his last Ghent six yes. have you been fans of his for a long time yes in the beginning for the first year yes. so you've been following him a long time yes so how does it feel to be here for his last Ghent six yes it's uh, very emotional yes. tell us about about him why is he a favorite of yours uh, my father knows him from a little boy 
and uh, that's why we follow him uh, here in the in Ghent, yes. What's it been like following him through his career? He's obviously mainly a track rider, mainly a six-day rider. What's it been like being a fan of his? He's, uh, he's, I think he's the best um, yeah, wheel rider from... Um, from track specialist. Yes, he's, he's the best. He's the best. Everyone says in your case is the best, but that's not true. <laughs> Kenny Decatel is uh, the very best here. Yes, we, we know him. He was um, yeah, my, ne my nephew. So very good. <laughs> Tell me, what's your name? Anton. And are you a regular at the Gent Six? Uh, yes, actually, yes. <laughs> I think I come for ten years or so. Uh, what, what's special about the Gent Six? The pe the crowd, also the mix between good cycling uh, events and atmosphere is, uh, yeah, it's just here again because I, I follow cycling in general very close, but the Gent Six are something special in the gamma of uh, is this, is this the highlight of the year for you do you think one of the highlights yes is there any any writers that you're here you know that a lot of them are regulars here but are any writers or teams that you're particularly drawn by here this year uh, yes uh, of course Mark Cavendish is one uh, a big name but uh, Tour Dens I know his mom six day racing for you is a is a what's the balance between entertainment and sport because Entertainment is a big part of it. What, what, what's the kind of balance for you there? For me, it's mainly sports. The best, uh, the best you can do at again uh, six days is come at uh, Thursday or Saturday in the middle of the track and have a have a beer and uh, have fun. And then on Sunday, uh, in the you have a seat and watch the the race. But that's uh, when to watch it properly and pay yeah. attention. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Finally, I mean, we, we missed the Gen Six last year, of course. How how does it feel this year? Does it feel like a normal Gen Six or a little bit different? Yeah, between yesterday it felt normal, <laughs> but now again the Corona shizzle is back back on, so it it was a little bit uh, different. But when you're here, a beer. In, at the track is the perfect match uh, not too much uh, for me not too much just a few beers and watch cycling that's awesome and now we come uh, yeah, to another place to have a beer you're, you're a great you're a great guy you're in the bar you're in the right place obviously you've got beer in your hand what are you going to be eating later on <laughs> and we say in, uh, in Dutch a vetskaf uh, it's a hamburger in, uh, in our uh, in our language from the town I, I come from. So yeah, an, an hamburger, obvious, obviously. Uh. Well, enjoy the racing. Yeah, thank you. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. And now you can wear the Super Sapiens Energy Band, the first and only wearable that can display real-time glucose data directly from Abbott's LibreSense Glucose Sport Biosensor. The Super Sapiens Energy Band is available at supersapiens.com for €159. Euros. Well, we heard before the break there from some of the fans at the Ghent Six, and thank you very much indeed to Super Sapiens for their support of the cycling podcast. They are our title sponsor. We recently uh, announced that four uh, of our listeners had won three months' worth of Super Sapiens devices for continuous glucose monitoring. Earlier in the year, another winner was Fiona Bell. She won three months of Super Sapiens devices. And let's hear how she got on. I turned 60 in July. And about a year ago, I thought it would be a great idea 
to enter a triathlon, which was called Castle Coast. Cycling wasn't too much of a problem, but I needed to pick up the, the swimming and in particular the running. And the problem with the running was I'd get to about running 14K and I would just poop. I would just be, uh, I, I'd lose all energy, have to stop. So that was the reason why I entered the Super Sapiens competition, because I wanted to try and understand what was making that happen. And when I actually did the cycle, I was able to know that I had to have a little bit of something every 20 minutes. I sort of learned that. And my level was absolutely dead flat for the whole of that. For the run, which was the 14 miler, it suddenly turned really hot. And I have to say that my levels weren't quite so perfect for that. But at no stage did I run out of energy. Uh, I, I sort of learned enough that I could actually just keep going. What, what gave up was sort of my body rather than the actual sort of energy levels. But, uh, but I completed it. Very, very hard work it was, but I got to the end. Lionel, I've had a disaster. What happened? I spilled some mustard on my, my pale tan soft leather shoes. Oh, that's, I mean, that's almost as disastrous a footwear incident as when I ruined my Adidas Gazelles on the Pave in 2014. Very similar. It'll go down the annals of podcasting shoe history. I'm sure the, the mustard, it was sitting there for a long time before I spotted it as well. So lots of time for the greasiness to be absorbed. They're ruined now, aren't they? They're I mean, what happened in the racing there, Lionel? Well, Richard, that was the flying lap. Each team put both their riders on the track. The first rider leads out the second and hand slings him into action for the final lap. And the quickest time was by Mark Hester, who's riding for Ethics, a sponsor that everyone will know from their days sponsoring Mark Cavendish's road team. But as he said earlier, you know, they're not necessarily household names of uh, cycling sponsorship are they it's it's um it's a bit like when you play football manager on the computer and the names are artificially generated as you say schneider electric is a new one for me anyway he was riding uh, mark hester with tour dens who we heard earlier on from a, a fan of the of the gen six of cycling who's here um, from antwerp and he is a, a big favorite of of his tour dens so he knows him from when he was small. Um, he speaks to a lot of the Belgian fans and they know, they know someone from when they were small, don't they? So he's here supporting him. He'll be happy with that result. What have we got now? Well, this is the first big um, Madison race, 40-minute Madison. And, uh, well, it's like a Madison in the World Championships. They hand-sling one another into the action every two and a half, three laps. And uh, first over the line wins, as simple as that. And then after the break, there's a couple of 60-lap journey races, which work, works out at about 10 kilometres. But with half the riders on the track, all with a motorcycle pacer, that, that's a real high-octane event. We're standing in the very worst place, of course, to follow a Madison. We're in the track centre, where you risk doing your, your neck an injury, uh, trying to sort of follow what's going on. And especially on this small track, it's very, very difficult. Interestingly, the fan I mentioned earlier told us earlier that 
He likes to come and stand in the track centre Thursdays, Fridays, Saturday evenings, enjoy the party, and then on Sunday, the final day, he goes and sits in the stand so he can watch the racing properly when it's all decided. So a useful uh, tip there for anybody planning to come and watch the six-day racing. Of course, because the track is so tight, it can be quite easy for teams to lose laps, and that's already happened here, Rich. Four teams are a lap up on everybody else, and getting those laps back is, is difficult. It, you know, it's easy to lose them, but hard to regain them. Mark Cavendish, Lionel, it, it's always so surprising to people when they see him sprinting at the Tour de France and, and being the fastest rider there, and on the track you don't get that same electrifying turn of speed, that same acceleration. Um, we saw him in the in the flying lap there, a good half second off the fastest time. I hope it's not going to be like the sixth day, was it in 2008, when he rode here, got in a bit of trouble from Patrick Serku, the organiser, for not really being in shape. I'll tell you what, Richard, I'll tell you that story on the way out. OK, Lionel, excellent. Uh, one, one little thing about Mark Cavendish, there's no news yet about his um, new contract with Quickstep, as they will be next year. Um, but we understand that he will be with the team next year. He's going on the training camp that's coming up. So he's definitely going to be part of that team. But there's been no announcement yet of his new contract. And I would have assumed they were, they'd be planning to announce it this week. He's riding here for the Wolfpack, which is obviously a, um, a reference to the, the nickname that the team used. But I'm not sure if it will be announced this week or not. It may be, it may not be, but he will be a De Koenig Quickstep or Quickstep rider next year. Michael Jackson, Lionel, you usually swing your hips to a bit of Michael Jackson. I can see you there. No, I'm just shaking some mustard off my shoe. What's your name? Mario. And where are you from, Dario? I live uh, 20 key from here in danger. And you're wearing a, a sweatshirt that um, announces you as a Mark Cavendish fan. Yeah, met him the first time in Roubaix in 2007. And since then we follow every other Tour de France. We follow Mark, so he knows us very well. And have you been against six before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you must be happy that the race is back yeah, on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because we have some difficult years with Corona, but we follow every other Tour de France. So I'm very happy because Mark, on Wednesday after the Tour de France, he came to Danger to meet us with Peter and his four children. So that was the day of our life. You paying attention here, Lionel? I am, yes. What's happening? Well, now there are four, four of the 12 teams have lost a lap, at least, and so um, it's a sort of whittling down process at the moment. That's what will happen. It, the, the intensity will go up over the course of the race. There's still 28 minutes to go. So they've only been racing 12, 12 minutes. And some, somebody's putting the pressure on at the front. In fact, it's... Uh, Morkoff and Hansen, who are up there pushing the pace on. But in fact, 
Viergarda and Hester have gained a lap on everybody, so shuffles everybody down the, uh, the ranking one place. Making this race even more complicated is that the shortness of track makes it, in inverted commas, easier to take a lap, and so there's, and especially as the race goes on, the riders get more tired, you do see teams taking laps more often than you do in championship Madison. Yeah, of course. A big difference, isn't it? Gaining 166 metres compared to 250. But it is tricky. If you take your eyes off the front of the race, you can completely lose what's actually going on. So the scoreboard's actually really helpful because you can then reorientate who's in, who's in front, pick them out, right, that's the front of the race, and everybody else is chasing them. Well, your job, your job, Lionel, is to keep your eyes in the front of the race. Mine is to get the mustard off my shoes. You can tell from the commentator when something of importance is happening. Kenny de Ketteler's team and Sylvain Dillier's team have both uh, gained a lap as well. So now there's three teams out in front. But as I'm watching them, Richard, it, it just strikes me as remarkable how they find the space on the track to uh, do the hand sling changeovers, swinging up the track to take their little bit of breather from the action down below. I mean, I don't want to tempt fate, but with so much movement going on on the Track, it is incredible that there aren't more collisions. I mean, there hasn't been a crash this evening so far, and the, the racing has been intense. It's such a skillful thing. There are some top lead-out men here, aren't there? Roger Kluger, maybe not so much as he has been in the past, but he has been a, a, a great lead-out man in his career. Jasper de Boost. Um, has done a job for Caleb Ewan as well. And of course, Michael Markov, the, the maestro of the leader men. And we, we often marvel at his ability in a fun sprint to be so calm, so smooth, so apparently aware of everything that's going on around him. And, you know, he talks about the track and how the track is where he's developed and honed these skills and it, it's apparent here obviously I mean he, he just he just coasts around doesn't he he always seems to be in quite a low gear spinning away um, he doesn't look like a really powerful rider but he's as fast as most of these guys here and yeah th this is where he hones those skills as a lead out man which we see to such great effect in, in the Tour de France and other races Update, Lionel. Well, an update now is three teams, one lap ahead, including Mark Cavendish and Ilho Kaiser. But it's a, a, a fluid situation. It's changing all of the time. We're roughly halfway through now. So this is uh, the business end of the race. But as I said, it's the teams at the bottom that are slipping out of contention. Um, two and four laps behind, whereas everyone that's still a lap down, or just a lap down, uh, will obviously have the opportunity to get back on terms.
is really on here Lionel. Um, we've got Kenny De Ketla on the attack with his partner Robbie Heiss with Morkov and Hansen in hot pursuit. Yeah Morkov just getting across to the back wheel now. One lap to go. It couldn't be closer here. There's the belt. They're side by side. A handsling puts Geist back in. That is a heck of a turn by Morkov. Wow. Well, Lassie Norman Hansen that was, sorry. No. Sorry, I was right the first time. That was Morkoff in the sprint there. Lassie Norman Hansen's just gone round at the bottom. Looked absolutely cooked. But uh, very good, very entertaining win that. Morkoff and Hansen take it from De Ketling. He's with Klug and De Boost third. Reichardt and Dillier, Kaiser and Cavendish. Shoot, uh, shoot that out of the door. Cycling podcast, team car, at the back of the pack, please. That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by the Hammerhead Carew 2 cycle computer. Richard and I have been riding in Belgium a couple of times while we've been here, and we've been riding with some locals, so I've just been following the wheels. I haven't had to plot my route on the Carew 2, but it's been nice to come back and then know that my ride is automatically uploaded to the Hammerhead dashboard and that links automatically to my Strava account. But when I've been riding at home, I've found that the mapping and the routing and particularly the climber feature on the Karoo 2 has really come into its own and added a different dimension to some of my riding. Over the past few weeks, I've been building a database of my regular rides, uh, either by importing routes, you can import from Strava or Komoot or anything that uses a GPX file or similar, or my favourite is actually just drawing my own routes on the Hammerhead dashboard. It's as simple as point and click, and then it seamlessly uploads to the Karoo 2 computer, and so when I'm ready to go out, I'll pick a ride based on how long I've got to spare, maybe a 30k ride or a 50k ride, depending on what I want to do. And then when I'm out on the road, the turn-by-turn directions are not necessarily that important because I know the roads like the back of my hand, although, of course, if I was riding somewhere less familiar, they'd be invaluable. But what I've really been enjoying is the climber feature, which tells you how far there is to go to the next climb, and then when you're on the climb, it gives you the gradient changes in real time. So you know the steep bits coming up, you know how far there is to the top, and this has been developed in collaboration with some of the world's best climbers, including Israel startup nation rider Michael Woods, who, unlike me, is a pretty handy climber. I'm a bit of a slow coach when it comes to going uphill, so it's the countdown to the summit that I really enjoy. The screen itself is really clear, really easy to see at a glance, taking what is quite a lot of information, but without you know taking your eyes off the road for too long. It's a little bit like having a personalised Tour de France road book for your own roads on the screen in front of you. And uh, I've been really enjoying using it. And I'm looking forward to venturing further afield and challenging 
the routing. I've given it a couple of little tests by uh, deliberately going off course and seeing if it can easily um, find its way back onto the right route. And so far, the Karoo 2 has proved to be smarter than me. So uh, looking forward to taking it further afield and putting it through its paces. Now, if you like the sound of all of that, for a limited time, Hammerhead has an incredible deal. You can buy a Karoo 2 at hammerhead.io slash trade and get up to $170 or £125 or the equivalent wherever you are when you trade in your current cycling computer. That's a rebate of up to $170 or £125 when you trade up to a Karoo 2 from Hammerhead by trading in your current cycling computer. But this is a limited time offer, so go to hammerhead.io slash trade and trade in your current cycle computer for a Karoo 2 today. Now back to the track in Ghent and at the interval... The cycling takes a back seat while the cabaret or the singers take centre stage. They move around the track entertaining the crowd. I have to say, because there's no beer being served in the centre of the track, um, it, it did seem like the velodrome ent- emptied out a little bit as perhaps people headed to the bar to get a beer in the uh, catacombs, as they call them, round the outside of the track. Anyway, this gave Richard and I an opportunity to speak to some of the riders in the track centre. And first up, Richard spoke to Michael Morkoff, the Danish rider who is riding here with his world and Olympic Madison champion partner, Lasse Norman Hansen. Morkoff uh, really cut his teeth on the track, very experienced track rider. And of course, uh, lead out man extraordinaire for De Koenig Quickstep having worked with all sorts of sprinters, including Mark Cavendish. So Richard had a chat with Michael Morkoff about being back on the track in Ghent. That was a very exciting uh, race we saw there and a, a nice win. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was a bit curious to be back here in uh, Kölke. Uh, I was last time here six years ago where I won together with Ilio. Uh, it's a very special track. Usually we race on tracks of 250 meters. So this is almost like a half a distance. So it's a, it's a really uh, technical, demanding track. And you're wearing the world champions jersey. It's been an amazing year for you. Um, as, a, as a teammate uh, at the Tour de France, we saw again. But then to go on from that to the Olympics and the world championships, um, you must reflect on what's been your, your best ever season, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I joined Quick Step in 18, uh, I did at that point my best season so far. And uh, since then, I've been able to top it up every year. And uh, I'm indeed very proud of what I achieved this year. First in the spring with Sam, and then uh, a really historical Tour de France with Cav. And then obviously my Olympic gold medal and World Championships uh, title. Uh, Yeah, it's just been extraordinary. What do you put that down to, that improvement in your own condition, your own performances? What's the the reason? Well, I, I, I believe that I managed uh, at a quite a late age still to uh, to search for uh, improving myself and um, I'm really perfectionistic so even though that I did do good lead outs in the past I'm not resting on those uh, I want to improve and I want to do it even better um, so I always happens to find the motivation in something where can you where can you improve as a lead out man well, it never really goes perfect, so um, there's always room for improvements. And uh, obviously next year I get the chance to ride again with uh, Fabio, who looks uh, extraordinarily good. Uh, and at this moment I'm really excited uh, to race with him next year. Do you, are you somebody who watches 
sprints back on video to analyze them after the event. Absolutely, I, I look at a lot of sprints. Um, I also enjoy to watch the sprints when I'm not in a race myself and try to analyze what's going on. And uh, I think that's a very important part of my job. And how, how nice is it to be back in, in Ghent after a while, you said? I mean, it's the first Ghent for a couple of years. We've got quite a, quite a full house tonight, actually. Yeah. What have you made of the, the atmosphere so far? Well, as, as a rider, I absolutely love to be here. Um, also, as a rider, I love to race in Belgium if it's on the track on the road, but you really feel the heart of cycling is here. Um, and, and this is a very iconic six days race. Every night sold out. And uh, to be able to wear the World Championship stripes here, uh, it's, a, it's a really proud moment for me. And when I got the chance to ride, um, I didn't hesitate. And you're riding with Lasty Norman Hansen. You've obviously got a great partnership with him. Is that a partnership you think will, will continue next year and even beyond? Yeah, well, Les, uh, Les is still young. He's, uh, he's a bit younger than me. Um, I think in a year or two, I'm going to look how it, how it looks for the Olympics. Uh, and then it, for sure it's possible to carry on with Lesser. Paris is a possibility. What? Paris is a possibility. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess you, next year you mentioned riding with Fabio. I think he's going to be the guy at the Tour de France. That's the plan anyway. Um, you've done the job with so many different sprinters. With him, will it be a case of trying to get as many races before the tour as possible, or does that not matter so much? Oh, well, my focus is going to be straight away from the start of the season to try to, to get a good uh, rhythm with Fabio and uh, to win races. Uh, and hopefully we can win some races uh, before uh, looking to the Tour de France. And uh, yeah, we have to find each other. But first, before that, you're the favorites here in Ghent, apparently. Yeah, uh, I, I think we, we are up there. Uh, it's always a very strong field here. Obviously, I know uh, Kenny is going to ride his last race here, so uh, he's very motivated. So is Ilio, and uh, yeah, heaps of other guys, so it's going to be a good battle. Well, I'll let you go and enjoy the halftime entertainment. Yeah, thanks. When Morkov last won the Ghent Six, he was partnering Ilio Kaiser, the home favourite. Uh, Kaiser's father owned a bar in the centre of town, and Kaiser is the hometown hero. And Kaiser himself is partnering Mark Cavendish this time. So Richard also spoke to him. What's it like to be back at the Ghent Six? Feels quite good. Uh, I was a bit afraid. We had a general repetition in Copenhagen, which wasn't super good. Uh, and then also last week with the, the measurements for Corona that uh, changed everything a little bit. But in the end, I feel feel good to be back. There's a lot of people. There's some uh, good atmosphere as well. So uh, yeah, really nice. Better than expected. I think yeah. The, if, although there are the measures, it feels like a, a, a good crowd for an opening night. Yeah, yeah. Normally Tuesday is always the not the best night during the week, it's actually the worst night of the week. Uh, and it's for me it's a bit like uh, like other years, I thought there would be more people that, uh, that wouldn't show up, but uh, in the end, people that bought a ticket, they are here, I think. I read this week that you, you say people still know you or call you a trackie, but you don't ride much on the track these days. How much riding on the track have you done to get ready for this? Oh, I did, uh, after the road season, I, I didn't rest. I did two, three weeks of training on the track, and then I did three days of Copenhagen racing. Uh, now I do this, and then maybe I will do one more year, one more race uh, at the end of the, uh, in the of the year. So that's it. The last years, it's always been 
one six day and one or two six days and then uh, some small races so I do uh, 75 80 races on the road and six till 12 days uh, more or less on the track so I'm not a track rider anymore track cycling has changed a lot the last five years uh, and I didn't go with that so for me it's always a big shock to uh, to come against to race against the real track is what's it like uh, riding with, with Mark and what kind of shape is he in well I was a bit afraid after Copenhagen which wasn't really good I expected more from that uh, but actually I, I feel good with him to the, uh, today here and uh, he also looked really good in the race he was good after the race so he's, he's in a he has a high morale he's feeling good he's uh, smiling which is important uh, and I'll try to do the same and I spoke to a young man making his senior debut at the Ghent Six, Michael Zaylard. Now, if you're a keen student of Ghent Six track cycling, the surname Zaylard may ring some bells because his grandfather, Joop, was one of the most famous Derny riders, a real larger-than-life character on the track at the Six Days, has been a Derny rider for some of the greats over the years. But Michael Zaylard is riding here as a senior for the first time. So uh, we're watching the Derny race here and you have a special connection to the Derny, I guess, because of your grandfather. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my uh, my grandfather used to ride here a lot and now my father as well. So, uh, yeah, you can say it's in the family. But they're Derny riders and you're a cyclist. Yeah, well, yeah, I think uh, I'm more athletic than my dad. <laughs> no, but... Uh, they, they're doing it a long time already, and uh, cycling is just in the family as well. So uh, I start as a, as a cyclist, and who knows what brings the future. Do you remember watching your grandfather here? Yeah, I, uh, I can still remember him riding here, and it, it was always great to see him. And, uh, but now it's also great to see my dad here. It's, uh, it's making me uh, very proud of him. And what about your race? Is this your first time in the Elite Gent 6? Yeah, so I, I used to ride here one time, uh, like five years ago, uh, the uh, U23 race. Um, but i got to be honest, it's a very special feeling to be able to start the Elite, elite Six here. And how do you and your partner go around uh, building up a partnership in the racing? Because you, you have to hit the ground running on the first night, don't you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, we've known each other for uh, quite some time now. And... Uh, I think there's a good connection between us two, but then it's still uh, getting used to each other a bit. I think the, the ha our handling is pretty good, and uh, I think we're pretty good connected. But again, this uh, this track here is 160 meters, so it's it's already hard to use the track. But uh, we're getting there, and it, it's getting good. Do you have a favorite event of the night? Um, Honestly, I think uh, the entire night is special, um, especially since it's it's back uh, after last year cancellation. So uh, yeah, I think the entire night is something special. Will you be doing the Derny race that comes up a bit later on? No, my partner's doing it. I'll do it tomorrow. And who's your Derny driver? Uh, it's going to be Edwin Smilders tomorrow. But uh, I hope this week I can uh, ride with my father one time. Well, that was Michael Zaylard, a real family affair here in Ghent. Um, his grandfather and his father, Gurney drivers. He's obviously racing on the track as a cyclist. 
Uh, but as I say, a real family feel to this because the race director now is Christophe Circu, the son of record 11-time winner Patrick Circu, who was the race director here for many years, who passed away in early 2019. And so the 2019 edition of the Ghent Six was the first without Patrick Circu as the race director for many years. During the break, Richard, while you were watching the entertainment and listening to the music, I had a word with Christoph Circu about where the Gensik sits in the calendar of track racing and particularly how he sees the arrival of the Champions League. So tell me, how important is it to get the Gensik back on this year after missing last year because of Covid? Well, it's very important. Uh, an event that has been away for more than one year, it's never good for the event, so it's very good that we can organise again. Of course, it's with uh, restricted measures uh, that we have to follow, uh, that the government has imposed to us as organisers, so we, we fully do that. But anyhow, we are very satisfied that the event can go on. How does it feel to you? Because to me, it feels like a normal Tuesday night. The crowd in the centre of the track is just as big. It's still early, so it's not raucous yet, but it seems just the only difference is that everyone is wearing a mask. Yeah, well, everybody is wearing a mask, but also the fact that uh, there is no bar at the inner field, so the, you cannot drink anything, you cannot bring drinks from outside or from, from the grandstand to, to the infield. You cannot uh, consume drinks or food in the grandstand, so that's a big difference. You can, you can drink something here, but more in, uh, in the surrounding uh, corridors of the track. But it's, it's a difference, yes. Also wearing the face mask, it's a, it's a difference for the event, but we are satisfied. Now you have a very famous name, Circu, particularly in this building. Um, do you remember watching your father race here in the Ghent Six? Yes, of course. I, I was 13 years old when he stopped racing. So when you're a kid from 9, 10, 11, 12 years, you have memories of that. So uh, not only from here again, but also for the other six days where, uh, where he has raced and where I was uh, accompanying him as, uh, as a kid. So yes, of course, I have good memories of that. And how do you feel following in his footsteps as the director of the race? I have been involved with, with the event since, since I was 17 or 18 years in different roles here. So I, I travelled a lot with my dad. We were uh, along very much together through the six days, but also to other races. And we talked a lot. And of course, yeah, with, with his illness, that the last two years, two, three years of his, of his life, he, he couldn't do the same thing anymore as he was used to do so I quite of rolled a little bit in that in that function uh, which, which wasn't new for me I knew what it was I, I've been in track cycling for all my life uh, but then of course when, when many passed away I, I had to really take it over and now it's I think, the second the second time that that I'm the responsible of of, uh, of the event but but it's not something new for me I can't help but notice you stand in the same position that your father used to stand in right next to the finish line, um, just keeping an eye on all of the racing. Well, you have to keep an eye. Also, you, have, you talk with the commissaires. Uh, we have a new scoreboard tonight, so it's the first time that you use. I think it's, it's a very big, big step uh, upwards uh, with the new scoreboard. But of course, first night, you, know, <laughs> you always have to look a little bit and adjust a little bit here and there. But, but we, cope it, we cope very well, I think. One of the riders, I think it was Havoc, was having a word with you just as he came off after the last Madison. What was he saying? He didn't look too happy. Well, when you look at the scoreboard after the first Madison, he is at minus four laps, so uh, you can imagine that he's not so happy. What was he actually complaining about? Well, complaining, he, 
he wasn't complaining about the organization, but yeah, he, he said, yeah, it doesn't go like it has to go. Uh, we are one of the normally one of the the favorites for for the race. Yeah, being at four at four laps after uh, the first uh, Madison, there's, uh, yeah, it's not so good. What about the lineup you have this year? Because obviously Kenny De Ketteler, big favourite, um, is um, this is his last Ghent six. Mark Cavendish, of course, adds that star quality from the road. How important is it when you're putting the field together that you have that mix of riders? Well, when you're making the field, you want to have first of all the best track riders, the best six-day Madison riders on, on on the track. You want to have the best Belgium riders, but also the best international riders. And I think the field that we could present this time is, is really the best. That, that you can put together. Uh, we, we have the, the world champions, the Olympic champions, the European champions. We have Kennedy Keitler, uh, Ilio Case. Uh, I can name them all, but it's, it's not only on the top two. Also, when you see with the young guys that you're given the opportunity to come here, uh, when you see you have some good Belgium, you have Dillier who is back. Uh, we have Malmberg, a uh, young guy, but I think in, in, in the future will be a very good one. Um, so. It's a very good mixture of young and old, experienced, non-experienced, big names, smaller names, but smaller names with high potential for the future. What do you think about the developments in track cycling? We've seen the new Champions League come along, which is that a threat to the Ghent six-day? Because the six-day um, season in itself is, is, is shrinking. It's down to, I think, three events, a couple in Germany and then maybe the four days of uh, Geneva, I think it is. Um, I mean, how do you assess the, the track calendar at the moment and the Ghent six place in it? Well, I, I would prefer that there also would be some more uh, six days organised because uh, when you have a lot of six days, tra certain track riders specialists can make a living out of it which is now very difficult if you're not in a road team that supports you or if you're not supported by a national federation because you're participating at world cups world championships olympic games it's difficult to make a living out of it so the, the new format of the the track champions league i don't see it as a threat at all uh, on the contrary the more track races there are the better for everyone, also for us. Of course, it's a different format. It's, it's a format based on television, short numbers. It has to go very fast. Uh, six days is a little bit different. Uh, I see it more that, that the Champions League, there are the one-day races of track cycling, and six-day racing is more that the stage races of track cycling. What about the programme you have here? I mean, it's, it seems like it hasn't changed from decades. You know, the, the same format of the Madison chase races and the, the the long journey races and then the, the flying time trials have you ever uh, you know in the time you've been looking at it the last two years or so have you thought about changing the format in any ways or is is there something about the six day that that just has to stay as it is but the format hasn't changed since the last eight nine years when you look back 20, 25 years ago, it was a different format. It were more long chases. I remember there were chases of 100k, two-hour chases. Uh, this changed. The last seven, eight years, the format that we now have is long medicines, but not overlong medicines. It has to stay attractive for the for the public too. Uh, combined with, with with spectacular shorter numbers, when you see the team elimination, how the riders ride, how important that they found that, how prestigious that they found that. So it changed a little bit, but I think the format that we found, let's say, maximum 10 years ago, is a very good format. It's very well uh, liked by the riders. It's very much liked, appreciated by the public. So why should we change that? 
And uh, lastly, uh, what about um, the inclusion of the women's events? Because you've got an Omnium Day, I think, on uh, Saturday, but there's women's racing on the, the final three days. But do you feel you still have more to do in terms of offering the women riders a, a more equal challenge um, to the one that the men face? Well, we started, I think, five or six years ago with organising women's racing, which was a good thing to do. So we do on the Friday uh, a points race, we do on the Saturday an Omnium with 12 riders, and then on the Sunday uh, a record attempt. Maybe ideal would be in the future to be able to organise also a Madison race during the six days for women. But I think that the technical level of enough women's riders to race on Koepke track, eh, which is on the 66-metre track, uh, there, there just aren't enough uh, women to do a Madison race for six days in, in at, our, at our track. Maybe on bigger tracks, 250 meters, that would be possible in the future. And I hope so here too. But I think we still have to wait a little longer to do really Madison races here uh, on the track in Ghent. You're not going to know, though, unless you give them the opportunity to have a go at, at racing at you know an elite level on a track like this well we did it the first year we had the madison women's race with only seven teams here and there were already two crashes so uh, we follow it we don't exclude it and maybe in the future we will organize it but now we limit it to the points race and to uh, an omnium uh, in our uh, event Take it all back, Rich. I mean, that was just a race. That was just a journey race. And uh, I love the fact that the journey driver uh, punches the air just as vehemently as the winning rider, who on that occasion, Kenny De Ketelo, bowing Would you out. believe it? Would you believe it? I mean, would you? Very Havoc, Rhett led for most of the race, but Kenny De Ketelo is the winner in the end with a, a late charge. Um, didn't see that coming at all. It's his final Ghent six. He's got a lot of support here. He's a very, very popular rider indeed here with the, the local crowds. So, well, they'll be thrilled by that, won't they? Yeah, it was interesting. In my conversation with Christophe Sercu, I referenced the little exchange that went on between Havoc and Sercu at the end of the final race of the first half. And Havoc didn't look terribly happy. And my Sercu didn't really explain what had gone on, but I do think that the riders feel a lot of pressure to perform and not fall several laps behind early on. I mean, they lost four laps in the first Madison. That's going to be very hard to um, to catch up. And well, Patrick Sercu, when he ran this race, he did run it with a, an iron fist. He expected the, particularly the highest paid, paid stars to perform and be competitive at the top end of the uh, standings. And, well, that leads me nicely on to my little story about Mark Cavendish, which I'll tell you, Richard, on our way out of the velodrome later. Well, Lionel, what have we got now? We've got the Super Sprint. Now, this is one that I have to see it to remember the format. So, we've got all 12 riders on the track here. Well, or rather, we've got a rider from each team on the track here. And we're looking at the end of this race. 
and they're cycling round and round the track. <laughs> oh, wow. It's insight like that you came here for. The super sprint, is that, um, well, it's just, it's just a, a sprint that's, that's super. I mean, it continues the trend in cycling to just add super. So we've got Super, Super Blanche de Bellevue next year. Um, you're listening to the Super Cycling Podcast. Sponsored this, by Super Sapiens. Oh, yes. And this is the Super Sprint. <laughs> More as we have it. <laughs> Well, Morse and Lewis, Crockett and Tubbs, Cagney and Lacey here have worked it out. It's basically an elimination race, isn't it? It is, with a super sprint at the end. Um, they're coming up to the line now. Last over the line will be eliminated. Oh, close. Lassie Norman Hansen, uh, first rider to be eliminated. One of the world uh, Madison champions, of course. And... Yeah, I mean, it's a race with more names than something else with lots of names. It's the Devil Take the Hindmost, it's the Elimination Race, and now it's the Super Sprint as well. I guess what we're going to see here is a, a bigger group at the end contest the sprint. Yeah, they don't eliminate all the riders, I think. It's whittled down to a final sprint, I think, of, of, uh, of, of six, I think. I mean, if they eliminated all the riders, then nobody would win. <laughs> a new format of cycling. Well, we've been whittled down to six riders final, and they will contest Super Sprint. We're into the final ten laps, or three laps to go now. Mark Cavendish is there, looking pretty good. Jasper de Boost is there, a few others. Who's your money on? Cavendish is getting a lot of uh, mentions from the commentator. That's sometimes a clue as to what uh, they're expecting to happen. But here we go, final lap, there's the bell. Jules Hester's the winner. Um, I mean, he took a bit of a flyer and it's it's pretty hard to uh, to close these gaps on this tight tight track. So Mark Cavendish fourth across the line there. Didn't see a lot of changes in uh, position, did we? Towards end, it was a fast race. Um, even after all the riders had been eliminated, who were going to be eliminated, it it turned into almost more like a scratch race than a than a sprint. But um, there we go. Another race finishes. And another one will be back on the track in a few seconds. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to Science in Sport, our longtime supporter. Grateful to them for their support. And if you would like 25% off all your Science in Sport products, Go to sciencesport.com and at the checkout, enter the code SISCP25. That's SISCP25 at sciencesport.com. Now back to the Ghent Six. I'm John, friend of the podcast. John, you just came and introduced yourself, said hello to, to Lionel and, and to me, Daniel. <laughs> oh, Richard, of course, yeah. 
Sorry about that. No offense. No offense. What are you What are you doing here? I mean, are, are, have you come over, or do you, do you live over here? No, no. I've I've visited. I'm from I'm from London. I've come over for a couple of days just for the again sixth day. It's great. I'm loving it. Are you over for a few days? Yeah, yeah. Just a couple more days. Yeah. Cool. Staying in Ghent. Got yeah. your bike? No, I haven't got a bike. I'm all walking this time. Yeah. Is it your first time here? Uh, yeah. It's great. I think I think Ghent's like the best of Belgium. Like it's got all the nice architecture. It's got old Flandrian, nice food, nice beer. It's got everything you want. What are your impressions of the Gen 6? How how does it match up to your expectations? It's very chaotic. It's it's not what I was expecting at all. Um, but it's great. It's a great atmosphere. Um, yeah. It's really nice, and it's great to see Cavendish here as well. Um, yeah, I hope he does well this week. You're in the track centre here. Is it, is it better down here or in the seats? Um, I think it's better down here for the atmosphere, but you get really dizzy after a while, so it's a mixed bag, really. Have you managed to get close to any of the riders to speak to them? Uh, no, I got quite close to Michael Morkov earlier and Ilo Kaiser. Uh, but that's it. The rest of them I haven't really seen much of. Well, listen, enjoy your time here. I will, enjoy I will. the enjoy the racing, and thanks for being a friend of the podcast. That's all right. Thank you. Thanks for the great episode. Well, Richard, we've come up into the seat above the, one of the corners on the bend. Michael Morkoff has been caught in this journey race and overtaken by Roger Kluger. But I tell you what, my money is on Ilio Kaiser in this one. Well, great insight, Lionel. Uh, 14 laps to go. Um, I've to say, fantastic up here, isn't it? You get a, fan, a really great view of the race. You don't have to crane your neck. You can just sit here and watch the whole thing unfolding in front of you. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great vantage point from up here. Kaiser's got to make his move shortly, though. The gaps are opening up. But I still think he's going to do it. <laughs> you can tell when the Derny drivers mean business. He's, he's putting a bit of a spurt on Kaiser's rider there. Look. Yeah, they move up the banking a bit, and yeah, there's a bit of, you can see them communicating with each other a bit more. He's, the Derny driver's turning around, just checking that Kaiser's okay with the, the increased pace, and it's it's closing up, isn't it? They're all going faster, but the gaps are, are closing. Eight laps to go now. Kaiser still in fourth place behind uh, Morkoff. Uh, Kluger still out in front. Oh, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be a thriller. Morkoff making another move. Here goes Kaiser. This is it, the move high up the banking over the outside. Into second place. Morkoff still out in the lead. Oh, the crowd are really getting into it as well. 
They can sense the home win here, Richard. crowd tells you who won, Richard. Ilio Kaiser there. But what about Markov? I mean, he was out of the saddle at one point, sprinting on the back of a Derny bike. I mean, that was extraordinary. To Never see. seen Michael Markov out of the saddle before. <laughs> I know, he doesn't even get out of the saddle in the Tour de France. Hi, Never. <laughs> Well, Lionel, back through the thick fog of bratwurst and other <laughs> fried meats and into the back into the freezing cold night after a very entertaining evening's racing. We were watching the Derny race there. Ilya Kaiser just beat Michael Morkov. And I think there was maybe a bit of um, scepticism from us about the, the, the legitimacy of the result. But, you know, it was exciting to watch. It was a very fast race. Um, Kaiser came from behind. The, there's a huge amount of theatre, uh, not in all the races, but in some of them for sure. There is theatre in it, but the crowd were happy. It was exciting to watch. It was, it was, it was actually quite thrilling. I found myself getting really into it, um, and everybody's happy. It was a terrific evening's entertainment, and I mean, it's not over yet. We're leaving. It's around about. Uh, it's coming up to quarter to midnight here, but they've got another hour of racing to do. A um, little bit past my bedtime now, but that was an absolutely phenomenal evening cycling. And actually, I thought that the the, the night might lose some of the uh, unique Ghent atmosphere because the, the bars um, aren't situated in the centre of the track and people can't take drinks into the seats. But actually, I, I felt it was a bit more civilised than normal, particularly as the evening went on. But I actually felt that it threw the focus much more firmly on the racing for the crowd that were watching and uh, and I mean the racing didn't disappoint it was an absolutely terrific evening and well we've met a friend of the podcast we've had a hot dog we've seen some great racing we've spoken to some riders we've spoken to the race organizer and I've been uh, giving this Mark Cavendish story quite a build-up that I'm not <laughs> looking sure, forward to this that I'm not sure it deserves but let's go back to 2007 Mark Cavendish was uh, coming to the end of his first year as a fully-fledged pro on the road. He'd ridden uh, the first couple of weeks of the Tour de France, hadn't he, and then, and then pulled out. He was a former Madison World Champion, of course. He won that title in 2005 with Rob Hales. And he paired up with Bradley Wiggins, who was probably a tier above Cavendish in the sort of pecking order of Ghent Six riders because uh, Wiggins had won it with Matt Gilmore a few years earlier, in 2003, I think, but Wiggins and Cavendish wanted to ride it together, uh, partly because they were two British riders who had their eye on the Madison at the World Championships the following year and the Olympic Games, of course, in Beijing. Anyway, uh, Cavendish wasn't going too well on the first couple of nights. And we heard from Christophe Sercou, um, who seemed slightly more mild-mannered, perhaps, than his father, 
who was a real taskmaster when it came to um, the level that he expected the riders to uh, perform at. And Cavendish and Wiggins were losing laps. And Cavendish, to put it um, well bluntly, wasn't going terribly well. And Circu had a habit of telling the press this. And so there was a bit of a story and some quotes from Circu saying he was disappointed about Cavendish's level. And uh, I followed this up. I was working for Cycling Weekly at the time and um, spoke to Rod Ellingworth, who was Cavendish's coach, but was here with the under-23 riders. And Ellingworth said, well, yeah, but, you know, th these are really demanding style of racing. And Cavendish has taken a break after the road season. He's had a little holiday and, you know, he's just getting back into things before um, the winter training for the next road season. So I wrote a piece for Cycling Weekly, which didn't have a byline on it. The gist of it was, uh, or there was a line in it, you know, after Circu's quotes and after some quotes from Cavendish, basically saying that after the season Cavendish had had and the unexpected fortnight of the Tour de France, you couldn't begrudge him a holiday. Well, Cavendish took exception to this, but because he didn't know who had written it, he blamed one of my colleagues. And, um, well, for what 14 years i've kept my head down <laughs> you didn't you didn't put him right on that i haven't put him right on that um but i still stand by that i mean you know the, the road riders in particular are doing long seasons and then they're racing at that intensity for that length of time for six nights it's not an easy thing to do it's a big ask all water under the bridge now i'm sure anyway uh yeah as you say a, a very very enjoyable evenings racing. As you say, we met a friend of the podcast on our way out there. We heard from him and uh, came across uh, on the spur of the moment, had a spare week and thought he would he would pop across. And uh, that's how easy it is. And, um, it, you know, it, it's easy to to go to the, the Ghent Six and have one, two, three, four, five or six evenings entertainment. Um, and it's highly recommended. Uh, we're walking the wrong way back to the car, aren't we? Because, of course, it's over there. Over we're the not other. walking back to the car. We're not walking back to the car. Or if we are, we're going to have to go in a big U-shape. So I suggest we turn around mm. and, and go that way. I mean, it's easy to come out of the Ghent 6 track and feel a little bit disorientated and dizzy after swivelling round and round in the track centre all night. One thing that interests me is the rider's routine. Um, you know, after racing until 1.30 in the morning, it must be very difficult to come down from that and get to sleep. And I imagine uh, you wouldn't be getting to sleep before 3, 4, maybe even 5 o'clock and, and waking up, I guess, at lunchtime. We know that the stories of yore of riders sleeping in their cabins at the track and racing much longer hours, but I wonder for the modern six-day rider what the, what the routine is like. That might be something that's worth uh, looking at for the future. But um, we'll be back here next year because there aren't many six days left on the calendar, unfortunately. But this one is a real institution, well worth a visit. Um, so we hope you've enjoyed our episode from the Ghent Six. Next week, we begin our series of episodes looking back on the season. Next week, we'll be looking back on the classics from this year and over the following weeks we'll be doing the grand tours we'll have a press conference episode we'll look at some riders who who, are, who have retired at the end of this year and uh, that's all coming up and then over christmas for friends of the podcast the christmas selection box between christmas and new year a series of connected or not connected episodes um by myself lionel daniel and the three of us together um, just a little christmas treat for friends of the podcast a reminder that before the first of december 
You can sign up as a friend of the podcast for £15. That price is frozen until the 1st of December. And then it goes up to £20. But existing friends of the podcast, when they renew over the next year, the, the price will stay the same at £15. And for our higher paying, more generous friends of the podcast, who we massively appreciate, um, they pay £50 or £100 a year. That price remains the same. That price is frozen. So if you um, are a 50 or £100 friend of the podcast, that, that remains the same. And if you are, you will get a, a gift once again next year. Um, we've got uh, a new gift for the higher paying members of the podcast details about that to come any other news Lionel we've got an episode of service course this week we've had an, another episode of explore this week with Adam Bowie our producer with a remarkable personal story no the big news is we are now heading in the right direction we're going towards where the car is parked which is a great relief well let's head there then thanks very much Lionel thank you Richard become a friend of the podcast or to sign up for our weekly newsletter go to thecyclingpodcast.com our theme music is by glass pear and this episode was produced by hugh owen Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.